Okay, so this is now our last retreat talk. Um, I'm going to talk today about celibacy. As I put up there, the priest's undivided heart. I want to say some words about celibacy, kind of in itself, but celibacy in the light of other things I've been speaking of, namely the new evangelization. So I'm going to talk about the undivided heart, about the eschatological sign, and then I'm going to try to kind of a bit more directly <coughs> integrate that with faith, hope, and love. So we think about celibacy, um, you know, the dominant paradigm in priestly discussions is the priest as bridegroom. Um, and uh, Father Tito was very clear, don't talk to the guys about the priest as bridegroom because they've got it coming up to their, out of their ears. They hear that so much. So I'm not going to talk about the priest uh, as bridegroom, as spousal, or only briefly. Um, but I do want to know, I'm old enough to remember when Pastoris Dabovobis came out. I'm old enough to remember when, in a very real sense, this felt like a brand new portrayal of celibacy. And the reason it is so dominant now, the reason you do hear about it so much, um, is for good reasons, that it is an inherently priestly image. Um, it's not a focus just on why celibacy is a good thing, but priestly celibacy, when we're talking about that spousal dimension, about the priest as bridegroom, bridegroom of the church, his bride. But it's also theological, that Christ and thus the priest is spousal. The Lord Jesus does have a spouse, his bride, the church. So it's therefore, you know, with that focus, celibacy isn't just a rule, isn't just a discipline, isn't just a matter of history. And of course that image I think does, is so beautifully practical. That if I think, obviously, more strictly speaking, that the whole church as, as spousal, but when my local parish I think of as my bride, um, it gives me a very practical, obvious way of, of relating to her, of, of boundaries, of devotion. Um, so there's a reason it's a dominant, dominant image today. But I'm not going to make that what I talk about, having spoken about it for however long. Um, going to start with an aside um, and say I don't feel called to celibacy per se. I feel called to priestly celibacy. So somehow you are able to strip away, I mean I've been a priest for over two decades now and I'm very happy as a priest, but if somehow you were able to take away my entire priesthood from me, um, I'm not sure I'd have a sense of celibacy without it. I feel called to be a priest and therefore a celibate priest. I can't really make much sense of a, a priest without that. Um, but having said that, there are bits of celibacy per se that I have come to value over the years. Um, and I want to start with this thing about the undivided heart. Because this, in a sense, isn't an inherently priestly thing. I kind of see it as a, as a bonus I've got mm. by having to be celibate as a priest. 
uh, a bonus I've realized more and more over the years. So, celibacy. How does celibacy benefit me? Well, benefit me in particular with respect to the mission, um, the mission of the new evangelization, the mission as the priest, as the pastor. Well, this phrase, where does it come from? 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 32 to 36. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman or girl is anxious about the affairs of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly affairs, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and that you might have an undivided heart for the Lord. This undivided heart is a beautiful thing. Um, what does it give me? How does it benefit me? Let me point two things. Prayer. It gives me a freedom to pray. So friends I've got that are married, it's much more difficult than, for them to have time to pray, uh, to create a daily schedule with their spouse, with the children, with. To have the freedom to pray is tough. Um, married parishioners. Um, so I'm not in a parish now, but when I was, I'd give spiritual direction to various people, including my parishioners. I'd be telling them, you know, you got to pray. But I'd also be knowing that for them, it was much more difficult to create that time to pray. So celibacy, it's a real thing, a real benefit to have that freedom to pray. Maybe in the seminary context, it's easy to take that for granted. You, know, you get the structure that kind of builds that into your day for you. Um, when you're a priest in a parish, it will be difficult to carve out that time, but it's a whole lot easier as a celibate than it would be as a married man. So how does celibacy benefit you? It gives you this freedom to pray. Recollection. Celibacy gives you a freedom to think and be recollected. That I don't have a wife, I don't have children. Now that's a real lack, but it's also a freedom in my thoughts and in my prayers. That I'm free to be occupied with my parishioners, in my case as a formator in a seminary, to occupy, be occupied with seminarians, not occupied in my thoughts by my wife. It makes a spirit of recollection that much easier. So the recollection that a priest needs for the mission, celibacy, that undivided heart, frees me for that. Let's 
going to come back to that in a different way with faith, hope and love in a minute. But another thing, the eschatological sign. Yeah, that's one of the things we say celibacy is. Um, well, there are multiple ways in which celibacy is an eschatological sign. Um, one of those is the spousal thing. That the church in heaven, you know, the eschatological in heaven, the church in heaven has a fulfilled experience of the bride-bridegroom union. It's complete, that union up there. And the celibate on earth is making that complete spousal union present already here, now, in his singleness, his single devotedness to the Lord. But celibacy I think in a more direct sense is a sign of the fact that we'll be single in heaven. So the Lord says there will not be marriage in heaven. You know, when the Sadducees went up to him with this kind of riddle, this problem that they thought they'd got him stumped, that there can't be marriage and uh, there can't be uh, an afterlife because we know this woman who had seven husbands in sequence uh, and who on earth is she going to be married to in heaven if there is some some heaven. Um, and the Lord's answer, when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. That there won't be marriage in heaven. We will be single in heaven. And so the celibate on earth is a sign that we will all be single in heaven. and we'll all be perfectly fulfilled in heaven. That's, in a sense, the big thing, that we will be single and happy, single and perfect, single and fulfilled there. And my being celibate here on earth is a sign of that already. So in the context of evangelization, my celibacy is a message about heaven that the priest on earth, the celibate priest on earth, is a sign of the promise of heaven. That we put aside wives because we believe in the promise of the happiness of heaven. The celibate priest on earth is also a message in evangelization, a message about value, what, what matters, what's important. That heaven is worth more than all of this world. All of the striving, all of the busyness, heaven is worth even more. And my being celibate is a proclamation, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak, about that. So I want to kind of reflect on that thought about celibacy as a sign of a different set of values in the context of evangelization. Um, and I imagine if we went around this room and you were each to, I asked you each to describe, when you told your friends, told your family that you were going off to seminary, what was the thing that most alarmed them? And it was probably celibacy. That you probably, most of you, had people say to you, 
can you really be happy single? Do they still ask that of you? Do, do you really think you can stick that out? Now what that means is the fact you are embarking on that is a big sign about what you think is important. And I know for myself that was my pattern and it was a long time ago now I went off to seminary um, but it was the same then as I know it is now um, that there's nothing that makes people realize wow you're doing something really different if you're going to do the celibacy thing. You must believe something really different. You must value something really different. So we all know there are people who are saying that the church should abandon priestly celibacy. Well, I'd argue in the context of the new evangelization that actually it's our era more than any era that actually needs our priests to be celibate, to be this sign, this eschatological sign in the context of the new evangelization of a different set of values. If there is any moment in the church's history to kind of invent celibacy, now would be the time. And if we flip that on its head, if we abandon celibacy, it would be sending a message to the world that actually um, the world set of priorities were right all along. Um, and that actually you can't be happy without uh, the pleasures of this world. That it isn't worth putting things aside for some heaven. It's a really important thing, I think, in our context. Let me share with you a little anecdote about um, a reaction I had in preaching in this regard once. So I went on retreat to um, Lisieux in France, um, you know where St. Therese was, uh, was there at her Carmel. And when I came back, um, it was the, that first Sunday, the gospel text was on the pearl of great price. Um, and so I preached about how Jesus is the pearl of great price. He's the one worth putting it all aside to get that pearl of great price. And I described the Carmel there, and I described in particular the door to the Carmel. If you've been there, um, the door to the Carmel is a big, heavy metal door. It's a door that you can't get through without somebody letting you in. It's a door that when the postulants went in, they never came out. It's a very, it's a big kind of hard door, therefore. And St. Therese knew when she went in that she'd only be carried out feet first. And yet St. Therese was happy to go in. She spoke about all of this, the, the religious life, in you know, classical religious terms. She talked about how you know, she took the, one of her many reflections, but she takes that passage from Hosea, one of the classic passages um, for the religious life, where in Hosea, the Lord called Israel into the desert that he might speak to her heart. And she said that the Lord called her, Therese, into Carmel, that there in that desert he might speak to her heart. 
And it's worth putting all aside to go into that place where the Lord could speak to her heart. So she went through that heavy metal door and never came out. Now, I guess my sermon was fairly powerful. You know, you don't know yet, I guess, but um, sometimes you preach and you realize you've lost them. Uh, sometimes you preach and you can see, wow, they're, they're engaging with this. Um, and this is a sermon where I could see people were engaging. And after Mass, um, this young teenage girl came up to me, rather anxious, shall we say, a girl who I reckon realized she was the age that Therese was when she went through that door. And she wasn't happy with what I'd said. Um, she, she said, wasn't Jesus being selfish in asking her to go in there and give it all up? Selfish Jesus? To have her all to himself? And I've often over the years thought of that image of, of selfish Jesus. Because we know St. Therese would have laughed at that thought, that she thought she was getting so much more. Um, but it struck me as a real sign of the whole thing being a sign to our world about what we value. What is more important? What is worth putting aside? What is worth pursuing? So I give that to you as an anecdote about the power of the sign value of celibacy. And this will be the power of the sign value of your celibacy. It's already the power of the sign value of your celibacy. Challenges people to a different way of looking at the world and a different way of looking at what's important. Okay, I now want to say a few words connecting celibacy with faith, hope, and charity. So the starting point of this retreat was making yourself into the man you need to become to serve the new evangelization. That's our moment in history. That's your moment in history. What do you need to be to be fit for that task? So I said the world needs the priest as a man of hope. People have lost hope. You need to bring them hope. So the priest needs, the world needs a, a priest who's a man of faith. You can't have hope or love without faith. And yesterday I was talking about the priest as a man of love, that the graces of these is love, that faith and hope have their ultimate goal in love. Now I want to make the point that celibacy enables you to be those three things. So I've already said it will serve you for the new evangelization in terms of being a sign, but I next want to, to connect faith, hope, and charity to it. So how to make that connection? Why is there a connection? Well, first, let's remember what faith, hope, and charity are. They are theological virtues. Yeah, they're not attitudes. They're not moral virtues, they're theological virtues. That means they adhere us directly to God. There isn't something between, in faith, between me and God. Directly. And celibacy, likewise, adheres us with an undivided heart to him. 
Let me quote the catechism here on, you know, what is a theological virtue. The theological virtues adapt man's faculties for participation in the divine nature, for the theological virtues relate directly to God. They have the one triune God for their origin, motive and objects. So let me briefly unpack that with respect to those three. So firstly, faith. Well, in my having an undivided heart, back to the thing of recollection I talked of, my thinking is better able to focus on him. So my will is more clearly able to assent to his promises, to live in trust of him, to not have that clouding of the intellect that the world easily brings. So the undivided heart frees me for recollection, which enables me to have better, clearer, easier faith. Hope. An undivided heart, how does that help my hope? Well, it means my will and its striving is kind of just less, less cluttered. Um, I don't have a wife to strive for, or children to strive for, or a career to strive for, or a mortgage to strive for. Only him, selfish Jesus. Um, that hope strives, natural hope strives for all the, the good things of this world that are truly good, Supernatural hope, that theological virtue, strives for God and for things in as much as they relate to him. And strives for my apostolate in as much as it is ordered to him. And my undivided heart frees, simplifies my striving, makes it more focused on him. So it, the undivided heart makes my hope easier, clearer. And lastly, love. So what does my undivided heart mean in that regard? Well, maybe this is the most obvious, but my will is likewise less cluttered in terms of what it possesses. So the love has, is about that union in possession with some good. Well, I don't have a wife possess. I don't have children to possess. I have a lot less to possess. But that one thing I do have, selfish Jesus, only him, that love rejoices in the good it possesses, natural love rejoicing in all those natural goods. But my theological charity rejoices in possessing God and things as they relate to him rejoices in my apostolate as it relates to him. And so my undivided heart makes my love all that simpler and easier. Okay, let me sum things up here. Um, first, I'm gonna sum up today's talk. So I said, Undivided heart, um, you know, I, there are many things we could say about celibacy, but what I've tried to articulate this morning, an undivided heart 
It gives me the freedom to pray, the freedom to be recollected in mind and in will and action. And it's this powerful, in the context of the new evangelization, this powerful eschatological sign, a state of life that speaks of a different set of values, a state of life that speaks of a person that's worth putting all else aside for. Okay, and as this is my last talk to you, to just briefly line up, put together what I've said during this retreat. So I've been saying the new evangelization, this is the task of our era, the goal of our priesthood. What's going to make your priesthood different from the priesthood of other eras? The new evangelization. You know, if you've not taken that on board yet, You've not realized what your moment in history is. This is our moment of history, and it's an exciting moment. Started by talking about America in this context, and I said that I see lots of signs that this, even though it's going to be a difficult struggle, that this is the dawn of a whole new Christendom, with America providing a, a pivotal testing ground or seedbed for a new Christendom. And even if that isn't the case, I think similarly America is going to be, in that case, if it is a kind of final push before the second coming, I think this will be the place of the last battle. Um, and whichever of those two outcomes we're heading to, I think your priesthood, your 50 years of priesthood, if that's what we kind of might expect, on the ground it's going to look the same either way. Because you're not going to know where it's going to end up. Um, whether you're kind of on a, a hard terrain that's going to have a spectacular victory, that victory is going to be beyond your time. Um, but that striving's got to be us either way. I said, what does the world need? I said, the priest, it needs a priest who is a man of hope, a man who sees people and sees the potential in them who sees pastoral context and sees the potential in them, who brings potency to act pastorally. Um, the priest who is a man of hope. He just walks into a situation and he sees what can be done and he moves towards it. The world needs a priest who is a man of faith, that faith, hope and love depend on faith. We need to, priests who just instantly witness to what they've received, witness to the deposit of faith, priests who just walk in and radiate that sense, that calm serenity, that calm certainty, there is a God. There is a meaning to it all. And our world needs priests who are men of love. Our, priests, our world where so many have doubted the reality of love, doubt that they are lovable, it needs priests who love them, who show they are lovable, that there is a God who loves them by the fact they as priests love them. Not just in a generic sense, but as the individuals you, you worship, um, you, you contact and serve. And today's talk, celibacy, the undivided heart, serves you in enabling you to grow in all those things.
the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Father's offering some handouts. Offer a few practical notes. 